for those who know every line, and for those finding Star Wars for the very first time, welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. My name is Anna. And I'm Sam. Sam, are you ready to talk about the darkest episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi so far? Because this one has some weight. The darkest episode of Kenobi so far. (laughs) (laughs) It's This one is real scary. So to bring everyone up to speed... Obi-Wan Kenobi has been a retired Jedi turned desert fishmonger who's been chopping pieces in the desert of Tatooine and getting just hassled by Jawas. He's been hiding from his past. Yeah, I mean, six and one half dozen the other. And then Bail Organa, who took the other half of the Skywalker twins, is like, yo, my daughter has been kidnapped by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Can you please rescue her? (laughs) I forgot about that. And so Obi-Wan, in fact, does so. He goes to Dayu, where he tracks down young Leia, is immediately punched in the nads by young Leia. They escape. However, it is revealed that the Red Hot Chili Peppers were hired by rogue Inquisitor Reva. The meanest Inquisitor of them all. And they're not nice people. They're not. They're deeply unpleasant. She is the one who is like, I want my boss's job and I'm going to do anything to get it up to and including stabbing her boss in the guts with a lightsaber. At the same time, so Reva has been trying to ferret out Obi-Wan Kenobi from hiding. She told him that Anakin Skywalker is still alive. And so we ended part two of Obi-Wan Kenobi with Anakin Skywalker in a back-to-tank. We open part three with Darth Vader being physically constructed into his suit, being built from the scraps of the man he used to be. So we know he already has the suit. So this is just his morning routine. Wake up, back to, clothes on, murder. Well, yeah. And then striding into his office on Mustafar so he can bully Reva and officially send her after Obi-Wan again. Because Reva called him directly and revealed that. So at the events of the last episode, because Reva was interrupted by the Grand Inquisitor and had to take a detour to stab him, Obi-Wan was able to escape. And she knows the vague direction he's gone. Obi-Wan and Leia have landed in a mining system called Mapuzo. It is crawling with stormtroopers. They're following the instructions that Haja, you might recall as the fake Jedi, he gave them some instructions to meet someone somewhere in space, New Mexico. That's where they are. Oh, that is Southern California, but yes. (laughs) Looks like New Mexico to me. (laughs) Reva has her orders from Vader to track them down. She sends out these probes to try to find them. And when they get to the rendezvous point that Haja gave them, there's no one there. Middle of nowhere. Obi-Wan is pissed. But Leia spots this dude in a Star Wars tractor coming their way and flags him down. His name is Freck, and they do this little song and dance thing. They're pretending to be farmers from Tall, and they hop in. And then they see that he's basically got an Empire bumper sticker, number one foam finger fan of the Empire bumper sticker on the back of his tractor. And then he proceeds to drive along and pick up a crop of stormtroopers and throw them in the back of the truck, too. He does indeed break for Mm stormtroopers. So the stormtroopers hop in the truck. They're looking for a Jedi. He's sitting across from them the whole time. There's a few tense moments there. Uh, Obi-Wan accidentally calls Leia, Leia, and the stormtrooper's like, hey! And he's like, oh, no, she just reminds me so much of her mother. That was her mother's name. It's been a tough time. And then when the stormtroopers leave, they have a very sweet moment where Leia's like, you knew my mother, didn't you? Are you my real dad? And Obi-Wan's like, no, and yes, and not in that order. (laughs) The tears are coming down my face. I want Obi-Wan to be her dad so bad. (laughs) Anyway, my daddy issues aside, (laughs) Freck pulls them up to an Imperial outpost 
And then he turns them in freaking frack. Yeah. The probe that Reva sent pulls up. It scans Obi-Wan's face. It triggers an alarm. He is to take out the whole crew of troopers with his blaster. One of them, it gets bisected by this laser fence. It is very gratuitous stormtrooper on fence violence. Freck does live because Obi-Wan uses him as a human shield and then bops him in the head. However, and there's another great Obi-Wan moment, the remaining stormtroopers holding a blaster to Leia. He's like, put your gun down. And Obi-Wan's like, yep, putting my gun down, putting my gun down. JK, LOL, headshot. <laughs> Fantastic. They get away for about two seconds. They get pinned down by a fresh crew of stormtroopers. Like two seconds later, another truck full of stormtroopers. But then the Imperial commander in charge shoots all of her own soldiers and says, get in, I'll take you the rest of the way. Turns out Haja was a good egg the whole time. This gal, Tala, is an undercover rebel. Mm -hmm. She works for the Empire, but she smuggles people out on the down low. And she was on her way when Obi-Wan got this stick up his butt, and then they hopped in with Freck. So this is all Obi-Wan's fault. Well, I mean, could be. So they end up in her safe house, which is on the path and covered with Deep lore graffiti for <laughs> longtime fans of the show. So it turns out there's kind of an underground railroad stretching across the galaxy to get former Jedi and force sensitive younglings and potential rebels out from under the thumb of the Empire. We learn Quinlan Voss helps out. Mm hmm. He does great Quinlan Voss things because no one would suspect him of being a Jedi. <laughs> We also meet Ned B, who I love, who is the droid helper for this operation. But things are getting spicy. They were spotted entering the camp, and now the Inquisitors are on their way. They need to get out stat. So Tala opens up this portal to the underground tunnel that is going to take them to the dock. And then Kenobi gasps, because Darth Vader has arrived on the set. He's on the scene. And if you'll recall the first episode when the Inquisitors are like, we're going to publicly torture people so that the Jedi reveal themselves. Who do you think they learned that from? Darth Vader, apparently. Darth Vader strolls into town, reaches out with the Force, grabs someone from their breakfast, and breaks their neck. He just is snapping necks one by one. Mm -hmm. He's dragging people behind him, screaming as if it was nothing, as if he's like, slow rolling in a truck with chains behind it. It's like he stuck his little mechanical claw into the little screw in Obi-Wan that makes Obi-Wan do whatever he wants because mm -hmm. it works. He, Kenobi, makes Tala promise to get Leia to Alderaan while he leads Vader and the Inquisitors away, partially to stop Vader from killing all of the innocent townspeople. He runs out into the desert and then a red lightsaber fires up in the darkness. Vader is already waiting for him. So they begin this fight in like a gravel pit. There's like piles of ore everywhere and like industrial machinery. And it's the middle of the night and it's a moonless night so they can hide from each other. But then they're like popping up in each other's business. Yeah. And Obi-Wan is like deeply rusty. Vader is just contemptuously flicking his blade aside. Obi-Wan is not in prime fighting shape and Vader calls him out on it. It's kind of like Anakin Vader has been in training, eating his protein powder, getting shredded for 10 years, ready for this fight. And then Obi-Wan steps into the ring and he's like, dude, I have been doing nothing for 10 years. I've been riding my space camel in the desert. Mm -hmm. Vader force chokes Obi-Wan, lifts him into the air. Spills a vat of flammable minerals on the ground and ignites them with his lightsaber. And this river of fire spreads out between them. He has set the stage for his revenge on Obi-Wan. He's going to barbecue him. He's going to barbecue him. And then he starts with the left side. Mm -hmm. He rakes Obi-Wan through the flames. It's looking very bad for our fave. Fortunately, Leia in the tunnel has convinced Tala to go back for Obi-Wan and get him out. And she goes on her merry way. So Tala is perched on the cliffside. As Obi-Wan is screaming and writhing in the fire, 
Tala takes very careful aim. She kills the stormtrooper heading for Obi-Wan, and then she ignites the flames. And then as the flames go up, Ned B strides out of the darkness and drags Obi-Wan to safety. The stormtroopers can't do anything because this fuel, this ventrium fuel is burning super smokily and they can't see anything. And Vader just watches as Obi-Wan is carted away. But then when we cut to Leia running through the tunnel, Reva has found the safe house and is waiting for Leia on the other side. Mm -hmm. She killed the pilot who's going to meet them. And now she's coming for Leia. And that's where we end part three. So one of these days we're going to end something not on a cliffhanger, but today is not that day. I don't think tomorrow's going to be that day either. <laughs> I think people love a cliffhanger. Not me. I'm not people. <laughs> I would have loved a delightful, you know, reunion with Tala and my little family getting to safety. It's funny that we do this in this form factor because we could just binge watch all of Kenobi. When it came out, it was like, oh yeah, it's coming out on like Wednesday or whatever. And we could just watch it all, but... All six episodes came out on the same day? No, they didn't. Yeah. But, See, there you go. But we could. That was like four years ago. <laughs> you know, I... So I actually was listening to a different podcast recently that was talking about people who know how to write for television and mm. people who don't. And they were talking... This is completely tangentially unrelated. They were talking about the Bridgerton series and how... The team that wrote Bridgerton knows how to write for television because each episode is encapsulated and has its own, you know, rising drama, peak drama, conclusion. It's a self. It's like a beautiful wrapped up with a bow present every week. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Obi-Wan Kenobi is structured very differently from that. It doesn't seem to have the same structure episode per episode. We did have rising action and a lot of tension building and then a climax and then the climax resolved as it did and then finally a stinger. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying that this I'm not saying that Obi-Wan Kenobi as a show doesn't have storytelling elements in each episode mm -hmm. that you know, give us a narrative structure. I think what I'm saying is that it feels like this show is playing a long game. It's trying to ratchet up the tension episode by episode, whereas I think other TV shows have more of a flavor of a week situation yeah. where they're not necessarily walking so deliberately up to the climax of the show. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. Okay. I, I don't, I, I think that, that's definitely like what the point of Kenobi is. Like yeah. it was a movie and then it became a long form TV show so that they could have more space because the more space you have, the more suspense you have. Like there's no suspense or tension in like a Marvel movie because you have to fit like a hundred billion dollars worth of actors into like two and a half hours. Yeah, and they know? all need their requisite two lines. Yeah. And then like you need to have a thousand action sequences. Where you do have suspense is in the like $50,000 budget Netflix time machine shows where you just have like a crew of six in a basement in Ottawa or something. And you're like, okay, there's some tension here because that's acting. Yeah. I mean, what I have loved about the show so far is how much space there is yeah. and how many beautiful grace notes you can fit in in that empty space. You know, I was thinking about how many of those grace notes are in Ewan McGregor's performance of Obi-Wan. So there's also some really good Hayden Christensen in this one. There is. And so the very first scene that Hayden Christensen filmed is in the, for, for this show is in this episode. And it's when they arrive in Space El Segundo, Mapuzo, <laughs> and they get off the highway about three minutes and they look and Obi-Wan has a vision mm -hmm. of, and it's like Lord Vader. Y young it's, Anakin, as he had turned to the dark side yes. before he had been raked over the, the lava pit in Mustafar. Yeah, it is peak Vader because once he was raked over the lava pit, he was definitely weekend mm -hmm. and that's an interesting part about this conflict between vader and obi-wan vader has been running this organization in addition to the rest of his projects 
We can assume that all the projects that Tarkin is involved in in the Bad Batch, Vader has a similar... He he's in the same board meetings for the Empire. I mean, he's got a boardroom for an office on Mustafar. Like he's got the executive suite, so he can get his work done. I mean, more than that, he's like, yes. Uh, if you wish to contact me, my office hours are whenever. Open door policy. I have a volcano castle though, <laughs> so like, be prepared for a volcano castle. Sometimes I don't turn on the air conditioning because I wear a death suit. <laughs> So, like, if you want to show up whenever, yeah, open door policy. You think you can hurt me with hot air? My flesh melted down there. You can see the spot. Also, yes. Like, what about the drama of I became, I moved from, so going back to Revenge of the Sith, I had this whole theory that, like, the killing of the younglings during Order 66, the destruction of the Jedi, as well as then closing the loop, going to Mustafar and Lord Vader becoming Darth Vader by killing the Separatist leader, by killing Newt Gunray, uh-huh. is what like empowered him the most. Huh. And so that was the most powerful Vader. And then he gets his arms and legs chopped off and he's not as powerful because his connection to the Force is weakened. Hmm. And as a power move, he sits there and is like, yep, all right, Lair is where I lost my power. That's like... Ooh. It's very um, Ahab having like the fish that took your leg mounted on your wall. Mm. Like you you haunt yourself yeah, with all vengeance. of your past hatreds and petty revenges. Yeah. I mean, that reminds me of one of the key things about this episode so far is that it was so heavy. It had such a heavy weight because it's all about the past, Mm -hmm. right? And this weight that everyone is putting on Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan is putting weight on himself. He's been carrying this guilt for killing Anakin. And now he's carrying guilt for not killing Anakin and unleashing this horrific force on the galaxy and then we find out that Anakin has spent 10 years blaming Obi-Wan for the same thing. That's the first thing that they say to each other in the gravel pit is Obi-Wan says, what has become of you? And at Obi- Lord Vader, Darth Vader says, I am what you made me. Oh, the self-hatred and the guilt and the self-recrimination that Obi-Wan is feeling this episode is so... I don't like the word palpable, but it's so present in this episode. There's that moment when Obi-Wan's talking about Mapuzo to Leia and how it used to be filled with families and farms. And then the Empire came to suck it dry of resources, just to suck on the bone until there's nothing left. And the expression on Obi-Wan's face looks like hatred, but not hatred of the Empire, hatred at himself for letting the Empire happen. Yeah. And letting Vader be a tool of the Empire. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think Obi-Wan has the perspective, the understanding of the real politic of his situation. Because it is all Palpatine. If Palpatine didn't have Vader, he still would have won and the Empire still would have happened. Mm. Darth Vader is a powerful tool for fear. He's a powerful right hand of the Emperor. He is not the Empire proper. Mm. Palpatine is. And honestly, specifically, Yoda is like, I'll handle Palpatine. You handle Vader. And he's like, look, I chopped him into like four pieces. I did my best, all right? He was like melting on the sidewalk Mm -hmm. like I dropped my ice cream cone. Yeah, really thought he was dead. (laughs) Are you saying so it's Yoda's fault? Yes. Oh, I haven't heard this take before. I mean, Yoda had one job, which was to kill Palpatine or die trying, and he failed in that. Because he didn't die trying? Yeah, and although he was defeated and he knew, but like what was what was Yoda's long plan there? Well, so my understanding is that yes, the Jedi failed in the moment, the order dissolved, everything was plunged into darkness. They made a strategic calculation to stay alive and live to fight another day. And so then the Empire knew that there were living Jedi and killed all of them. Mm. And except for like a scant handful, there's 
So currently alive Jedi that we are aware of canonically. Quinlan Voss. Quinlan Voss, Cal Kestis, Kenobi, and Yoda. Well, yeah, we know there are some force sensitive people around, but for for former Jedi, that's it. Yeah. So I think this is the thing about storytelling in the Star Wars universe, because there is a meta narrative. There's a lot of past, present and future. Mm -hmm. And the moment that we're standing in makes Yoda look really bad. And I am wondering if many, many years down the line, we'll get some different perspective on that and things will look different. But I don't know what the story is going to look like. Yeah. This moment looks really bad for Yoda and for Kenobi. And for Kenobi, importantly, we talked a little bit about this last time. Kenobi is not ready to fight Vader. No. It it shows because he's defeated him before. And when Obi-Wan, you know, peak general Obi-Wan Kenobi defeated up until five minutes ago, peak general Anakin Skywalker on Mustafar. It was, you've called it like a victory of the light side over the dark side. And it was, and the the outcome was assured as soon as Obi-Wan entered battle. It was always Obi-Wan's fight to lose, and mm. he didn't lose it. Anakin never had a chance in that. It's like the um, the American Civil War. Like there was no chance for the South to win at any point, and everyone knew it during the whole time. But I, as a viewer, didn't know because Lord Vader looked so powerful to me mm-hmm. that it did not appear to me that victory was assured for Obi Wan. I think it's the moral. The, it's the light side of the force versus the dark side of the force. We were talking in the we went to the hot springs last night, which is great. And we were talking about the nature of the force, uh-huh. which, you know, obviously let's talk about a made up religion kind of thing. But yeah, whatever. But the light side of the force, as we spoke about in the previous episode of Kenobi, is undefeatable as long as you don't compromise towards the dark side no i remember you saying that i just where's the proof where's the the proof in the text the proof is that obi-wan is able to defeat anakin anakin is the greatest warrior in like a thousand generations and Mm. obi-wan can defeat him Mm. obi-wan has never been the best lightsaber duelist yeah he's when throughout the clone wars he only cracks the top three lightsaber duelists <laughs> when he's alone. I mean, the name of his ship is The Negotiator. Yeah. It's not The Duelist. It's, it's, it's not, not like my name is Count Dooku mm-hmm. and I'm going to fence you to death with my stick, like my laser stick. Yeah. Yeah. And so the fact that his he is able to defeat them is the triumph of light over dark as a like moral mm. argument. And... It shows that like it's not the physicality or the practice with the blade or the wrist actions or the footwork that Obi-Wan is lacking its faith in himself. And it's, I think, the force. One of my big notes about this episode was how much Obi-Wan has been cut off from the force. Mm -hmm. When he pulls out his lightsaber, he seems genuinely afraid of it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very curious... If this is why Obi-Wan hasn't been able to connect to Qui-Gon, he got his homework assignment from Yoda. Yoda was like, connect with Qui-Gon, dial him up through the Force. But it seems like Obi-Wan really truly has cut himself off from the Force for a decade. It seems to me that Obi-Wan has gone in a couple directions. Now, importantly, the Inquisitors can't sense him, except for Reva. They can't, they don't really know he's there. And it very much feels like if he was actively using the force and he wasn't using it to like mask his own presence, that they'd be able to be like, he's on this planet. Let's find him. Because we've seen other force users do that. Be like, there's there's a force user on that planet. Let's go check it out. So Obi-Wan is able to hide. And I think he's been focusing on that to the detriment of his other stuff. Because he lives in a cave in the desert. He could be practicing with a lightsaber like 12 hours a day. He could be showing up like the... um you know, in the the back of sharper image catalogs that they used to have on airlines, and there's like a ripped 80-year-old dude. Oh he could look God. like that. He could be a dangerously ripped 80-year-old dude with like the gray beard and the tan skin. And no, he's he's Ian McGregor in like his 50s. You, you know? know what? Okay, would I love that? Yes. <laughs> but I'm gonna say that canonically, 
we have proof from the Clone Wars that Anakin can feel ripples mm-hmm. from very far around the galaxy. It's not like Shmi Skywalker could use the Force, right? But he had a connection to her. Mm-hmm. And so he could sense what was happening to her. So I think the proof is in the pudding that Obi-Wan had to cut himself off from the Force to hide effectively. Yeah. So he couldn't be using his shake weight in his cave to get prepped for this prize fight with Vader because then Vader could sense him. I mean, he could have been like, I don't know, using a crate dragon tooth or something as a sword instead of a lightsaber. <laughs> no force, just pure, uncut desert muscle. If Obi-Wan cannot bring himself to shower, I think he's too depressed for strength training. But that's yeah. my perspective. Talk, talk to your friends about depression if they smell bad. <laughs> There's this real conflict between Obi-Wan's fame from his past life and Obi-Wan's present iteration in this episode, and I am dying to talk about it. Yes. I love how um, in this series, we do get the uh, previously on at the very beginning. Oh, I love it. And the previously on for this one is Haja Estri is like, take it, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And he's like, wait, I never told you my name. (laughs) And then in this episode, Tala is like, I didn't think Obi-Wan Kenobi would be afraid of anything. He's like, that is not my name anymore. (laughs) That is, I love it. I love that everyone had probably like their Jedi playing cards for the last, you know, growing up, they were like, Obi-Wan Kenobi's on my billboard as the poster boy of the Jedi. I've got my action figure. I love General Kenobi. He's leading our troops to war. Like, imagine the mythology of being a kid growing up during World World War II and reading about these generals in the newspaper mm-hmm. and rooting for them, right? That's Kenobi to them. That is about the right age, too, because it's been 10 years since the end of the Clone Wars. Tala's like 25, 35, sure. somewhere in that range. Yeah, would have been 15 or 20 when the Clone Wars ended and would have been, I, I just don't, the, the transition from being like a citizen, especially one who was in the military to someone who's like, oh yeah, the Jedi betrayed us and they're the bad guys now, is a really complex thing. And I do yeah. feel like if you grew up during the Clone Wars, you would have the Jedi action figures and then afterwards they would have been the villains now. I know, because what we know about Palpatine is that he got his marketing degree. Like, he Mm -hmm. is very good at propaganda. I mean, we've seen it on the billboards in the Clone Wars where he's turning public sentiment against the Jedi, even when the Jedi are still actively doing good things. Now he's had 10 years to twist people's brains, right? And we see that in Frack, played delightfully by Zach Braff as a... Star-nosed mole person. Fraggin' Frack was a presence on the screen, and he was a delight in how horrifying he was. What makes him horrifying is the old adage that uh, if nine people take a Nazi out to dinner, there's ten Nazis at dinner. Whoa. Because Freck is like, nothing wrong with a little order. I love the Empire. And so there's been often on more in legends than in canon continuity this idea that the empire is very patriarchy very pro-human and then we see like tala as a human officer and they don't seem to mind freck but i wonder if that's him being like no 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 don't kill all aliens i'm one of the good aliens because i'll put a like straight up imperial flag on the back of my truck and drive around the desert and talk about how cool the empire is. And hand deliver suspicious people to the empire, right? And they might not be the Jedi that the stormtroopers were looking for, but I mean, Freck was quite willing to trade on basic decency to get a leg up with the empire that he so loves and admires. It's very much... It's very much like what people do to get a piece of the power pie Mm -hmm. when they are so powerless. They're like, oh, I'm just an alien in a human-centric empire. But what I can do is turn everyone in to get a little slice, like a little sliver of the pie for myself. That has been the theme of like my last week as I've been talking to people in their like 60s and 70s. Because they're like, wow, uh, so I just like underwent some sort of deal or training with someone in their 30s or 20s and realized that 
they have nothing in comparison to what we got. They are like radicalized and they have good reason to be radicalized. And it's the Freck is like leading there because he is one who's like, if I just lick more boots, they'll mm-hmm. stop kicking me. Mm-hmm. If I, I I can lick my way through the sole of this boot. Yeah. And that is a failure state of, well, I guess it is the successful state of fascism. Yeah. Is that you have this wanton cruelty all over the place and people are like, hey, they're cruel. And as long as I'm cool, they're not cruel to me. Well, yeah. So a political system, especially one that hinges on oppression, becomes successful when it turns people into perpetuators of the system. Yes. When the, so like, I'm sorry, I'm going to take a brief dive into political science because that's what my academic background is in. When you can get people to exert your will for you, Mm -hmm. you have become powerful because power is getting your way. It's getting people to do what you want, Mm -hmm. even without ever having interacted with them. That's how your scope of power increases. So every time you get someone like Freck, who's willing to perpetuate your fascist regime for you, you have another victory. Yep. That's what the victories in a fascist regime look like. It's not winning battles, it's winning hearts. Yes. Hundo P. 100%. So Freck doing the dirty work for the stormtroopers is Palpatine's great success. One of them. And he gets to walk away alive, which is kind of baloney. Yeah. I mean... (laughs) He was so folksy and charming that I wanted to like him, even though he's a bootlicker. That's what is the most interesting part of characters like that, is that it is the state of people. Like, that. that's the exact person you want to target with your propaganda. Yeah. Is someone who has, like, just enough to get by as long as they are in the good graces of the oppressor. Well, and this is, I hope this doesn't sound elitist and terrible when I say it, but people who know just enough about your political game to be dangerous are the most dangerous because they're people who don't question motives too deeply. They get some talking points about the empire. The empire is good for order. The empire is good for prosperity. We love the empire. And they say, I'm going to start waving my empire flag. That sounds Mm -hmm. great to me. Mm -hmm. And they never question deeper than that. And that's why they're such effective tools for perpetuating a regime, because they never look any deeper. You gave them one talking point, and they will repeat it forever. Yeah. And the the counter battle to that is not like getting on your bulletin board with string and pictures and being like Palpatine, Zillow Beast, Order 66. Oh, you mean doing the little conspiracy yarn trick? Because because people are going to be like, well, that's obviously crazy talk because I have been, I've had a, a different opinion installed on me. It's to like, just stop repeating other people's opinions. Make your own. Which I love that we see Tala doing that because she has that fascinating throw, throwaway line. She says, I joined up when the Empire still stood for something. Mm-hmm. So now I'm really curious about what the Empire used to stand for or what the Empire used to say about itself that you get these smart, motivated, interesting, cool people to join up? Like, what were the talking points 10 years ago? That's a good question, because we've seen what they stand for in Bad Batch Season 3. It seems to have already been a fascist regime to it me. Does. Sorry, Bad Batch Season 2. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, you were right. Three's not out. I mean, probably Season 3, too. But it's yeah, not you know, yet. whatever. Um, yeah, they are already fascist. I think that they... What we saw actually in Solo at the Battle of Mimban, uh-huh. when and, and then when Solo is leaving Corellia, it's like join the army, things will be great. You'll bring upward peace. mobility, yeah. And you listen to the the fun version of the Imperial March, and you're like, <laughs> okay, there is actually a path out of here. And whatever it was before was pretty crazy, and now it's less crazy. And I like the I like the promises of bringing peace to other people and like resolving this war that's been going on because the clone wars were the first war in living memory for everyone but like yoda yeah 
Huh. These people these people are unused to war and so they fail at it. They they won the war and lost the peace, you know? I hope we get more of this because I don't have satisfying answers yet about Star Wars politics and the politics of the Empire, but I think it is fascinating. And I hope we get back to this more, maybe even in our discussions on Kenobi. Oh, we definitely will. This is the whole in-between era, the Age of Empire era, which is from Order 66 until the Battle of Endor, is like this whole time of politics. And because it was the 70s and there were still like, you know, like it was still cool to hate fascists in the 70s. And this is going back to that time period. Mm. The The era in between the prequels and the sequels is the anti-fascist era of Star Wars. It's the era that everyone loves because fascists are terrible. So you're saying that this modern day 2022 production mm-hmm. is bringing us back to the spiritual predecessor which was the original trilogy that was created in the 70s, which was an anti-fascist piece of media. And this particular piece is the very personal struggle of how one fights without fighting because you can't fight all day, every day. Some days you are emotionally, spiritually, and physically defeated. And you need to take a year off. You need to take 10 years off. 10 years off in your cave. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. And Obi-Wan needs to recognize that that's okay. And he doesn't yet. Yeah. So maybe we'll come back to Obi-Wan's character arc another time. A different character that I want to talk about is Reva. Reva does not get a lot of screen time in this episode, but the screen screen time she does get is impactful. Moses Ingram, the actor for Reva, looks so buff. This <laughs> She looks strong. <laughs> she looks like she could, like... Squish your brains into hamburger helper mm-hmm. and have it for breakfast. And she has this just assumption of power. So after talking to Darth Vader, she rolls into the inquisitorial office. There's a big chair and some small chairs. And she's about <laughs> to sit in the big chair when Fifth Brother stops her using the force. It's kind of embarrassing, actually. <laughs> it is embarrassing for her. And but scary. But then she's like... So I already talked to, and he's like, that's my chair. And she's not sitting in it. And she's like, I already talked to Lord Vader. Uh, Do you want me to listen to you or to listen to Lord Vader? So there's a lot going on with inquisitorial power dynamics this episode. Mm -hmm. It sounds like Reva pinned the Grand Inquisitor's death on Obi-Wan. Yes, but I think it her game is to impress Vader. I think it would have impressed Vader more if she told him that she was following ye old Sith tradition and stabbed her boss in the gut. What's funny about that is it's ambiguous because Vader cuts her off as she's trying to pin the blame for the Grand Inquisitor's death on Obi-Wan. And he's like, the Grand Inquisitor does not matter. I do not. You are all tiny. Just, Just bring me Kenobi. Yeah, so he's dangling this carrot in front of Reva. He's Mm -hmm. like, if you do a good job on this, you can have the Grand Inquisitor's job, whatever. Literally, DGAF could not care less about your petty, mortal politics. But so then what I wanted to talk about is that Reva goes back to her siblings, the fellow Inquisitors, Mm -hmm. and she's painting this very different portrait of how that interaction went. Vader basically said, find Obi-Wan or I'll kill you. And then she goes back to the Inquisitors and says, Lord Vader puts me in charge. Yeah. That never happened. Yeah. I mean, do, do you expect the bad guys to lie or to tell the truth? I. It's sort of just like, does Vader not care about the chain of command? There's no chain. It's, Vader specifically makes the links in his chain of command fight amongst themselves to keep them from gaining too much power. I guess like maybe because I 
kind of work for the government. Like there's such a specific hierarchy that lets you do things. So it's weird to me that Reva can just announce to a room that she's in charge. It's very Michael Scott in the office declaring bankruptcy. Yeah. Like who's giving her permission to do stuff within the the dark side database? So after, okay, I'm going to bust out some geology here are you i am please make this connect (laughs) okay after the teapot dome scandal in 1902 the u.s government had a huge anti-corruption thing going on and we've had a huge anti-corruption thing going on up until like 2018 we were huge we were like the universal worldwide arbiters well respected in getting rid of corruption by contrast The Nazis under Hitler, he was like, squabble amongst yourselves, kill each other. I don't care. Whoever is the most powerful, whoever brings the most results gets the promotions. Both of those are, I guess, valid ways to run a government. One of them beat the other. And that's the one that you work for is the U.S. (laughs) government, which actually has anti-corruption measures in place. Yeah. A fascist regime thrives on corruption because then people don't get by on merit, they get by on delivering results and lying about where we really see this actually is currently in the war on Ukraine by Russia, because the Russian generals keep lying and lying and lying. They've destroyed, you know, the entire Ukrainian army 16 times by their numbers, because if they deliver failure, they are demoted down to cannon fodder. So yeah, I guess maybe I'm getting a little bit too hung up on like which IT guy is now unlocking the top secret files for Reva. Because mm-hmm. th- to me, that is what being in charge means. Like people decrypt stuff for you. But I intellectually, I know that it's more that she is announcing herself to be in charge and then people have to let her be in the thick of things. Or, and that's how she will gain power. Or call her bluff and be like, yeah. hey, Lord Vader, just checking in. Did you or did you not give Reva these directions? But so that's the thing. He's Lord Vader. You're not allowed to ping him on teams and no. double check. No, no. He's you a, cannot do that. If you want to double check, you have to walk the 16 miles across the lava flows to his absolutely pitch black interior obsidian castle on Mustafar. Or you holocron him. You you show up in his mm-hmm. little holocron machine and then he bullies you and says, if you don't do your job, I will kill you. So you don't want to be checking in with Vader. You do not. So she, Reva is playing a very smart game here. Mm-hmm. She is also flying deeply by the seat of her leather pants <laughs> because like anyone <laughs> could fact check this at any time. And be like, Reva, you're full of shiz. Now, also importantly, at the end of the episode, Vader is dragging body parts through the streets. And the Inquisitors are like wandering around. Reva's about to step off because she's got a hunch. Mm-hmm. And Fifth Brother is like in his extremely gravelly voice, which I'm not <laughs> going to reproduce because I don't think it would sound good, is telling her, no, we need to like secure the area. And she's like, yeah whatever you do that and she runs off and is like i'll bet whoever obi-wan was leading on is the actual person that i need to go after so i'm going to head them off at the pass which she does very effectively maybe she does deserve to be in charge i guess she's the only one who's getting stuff done as far as the inquisitors yeah i guess what i'm thinking about is that they're all fighting for vader's approval and For what? They're just frack with better clothes. Mm, They're just bootlickers. They're just bootlickers. Trying to get their slice of the pie. They have a cooler car. They're able to inflict more harm on people. But like, what does it matter when it's the only stakes of the game are life and death? If you deliver people in the back of your truck to death or you deliver them to the tip of your sword in death, it's the same death. They're just struggling because... The pain, the struggle, the effort is is the point of the empire. Well, and it's, it's in a big picture sense, that's the point of the dark side. Yeah. To, that, because the Sith get their power from reveling in pain. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's all for Palpatine and that drives me batty. And so that's another reason why Palpatine is such a good leader in this context. He set up such a a, a leadership structure which helps him so much because – 
if the only drive is not like, hey, let's get this delivery. Let's get, let's not get this deliverable out. Let's not have like a good fiscal quarter. It's get promoted or die. Then everyone, you know how everyone's going to behave. Everyone in Star Wars is trapped by a different oppressive system at different points mm-hmm. in the canon. And that's just sad and wild. Everyone's trapped by a different oppressive system. Sometimes the oppression is inside you, but... No, I know. I know that it is art reflecting life. Like, I know that this is a capital T theme (laughs) in life and in art, capital L, capital A. But I I wish it were not so. (laughs) You don't have to point it out so clearly. (laughs) You don't have to point it in my face. I do think it's fascinating that we had an entire hour of television where different plot things were happening, and we haven't really talked about plot. We've talked about themes and structure and politics and systems, and that, I think, is very quality storytelling. I really, really agree, and I think we'll be doing more of this as we do more live action because all the live action is a little bit slower paced. And beautifully so. Yeah. And I think it's because for for various reasons, I think it's it's a good thing. Yeah, I enjoy our discussions so much when there's empty space to fill in what's unclear with like our supposition. Sometimes, like you know, the Clone Wars would be so action packed with actual actions mm-hmm. that we wouldn't have a chance to talk about big picture themes and ideas. And that is not the case with Obi Wan. Yeah. Do you have any Easter eggs? Boy, you better believe it. Boy, howdy. <laughs> that one underground railway subway tunnel station has more Easter eggs than you would possibly believe. And see, as a new fan, we were in the in the safe house and I was looking at the walls and I was like, gosh, I sure wish I could read Star Wars characters, but I can't. So all of this context is lost on me. Well, I mean, you have to like freeze the frame and then translate it and look up what it says. But is that what you did? No. Okay. But other people did. (laughs) Thank you to the labor of other people. So in that room, we've already talked about Quinlan Voss, who is apparently an Order 66 survivor. We saw him for just a handful of episodes in what, season five? We saw him hunt down Zero the Hut with Obi-Wan, oh. and they met Mama the Hut, and they were like traipsing through the swamp. And then Sai Snoodles betrayed everybody. What a hoot of an episode that What a was. hoot and a half. That's the only time we saw Quinlan, I think, in The Clone Wars. I really appreciate how Obi-Wan's like, oh, it's Quinlan Voss out of all the Jedi to survive. Because him. they had so much tension. They hated each other. <laughs> I did freaking love that. He's great. So another one is that Tala specifically calls it the path. Yeah. Now, I just finished Jedi Survivor, which was great. The the video game. Mm -hmm. And in that one, they're working with a bunch of anchorites on Jeddah to form the hidden path, which is a place to move force users and dissidents to safety. Hmm. And that's like the whole thing is the hidden path. I find that really interesting to uh, it was called forward because Jedi Survivor came out like last month, but and this came out years ago. But that's an interesting grapple, uh, interesting grafting on another one. There's a reference to it's called the Callista trilogy. Uh, one of the books is Darksaber by Kevin J. Anderson. Canon or non-canon? Non-canon. Stop me if you've heard this before. Luke Skywalker's girlfriend works for the bad guys to make a super weapon like <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, but. I'm if if you pitched if you were in 1995 and you pitched a Star Wars Legends trilogy and we're like, okay, it's Luke Skywalker's girlfriend, (laughs) super weapon. They're like, I'll buy a dozen. (laughs) They made a dozen of these things. This one was bad. And that's I don't know. I've read a lot of Kevin J. Anderson's books. I haven't liked any of them. But, but so there were a lot of tie-ins to this there book were series. A lot of tie-ins. Well, it just it calls out to that. There's the planet of Jabim, which is all that supposedly the path leads to, which is the tie-in, another tie-in to that as well. So just that room had so much going on for like bring some legend stuff into canon. And that has been what people like the fanboys with an eye for Star Wars are like, oh, I hate 
sequels. I hate Inquisitors. I hate all this stuff because it, it rips apart my legends. I just want Luke Skywalker's girlfriend and super weapons. And this does bring some of it forward mm. in a way that you can actually kind of start to make sense of because there were multiple legends continuities going on at the same time. It felt like a very obvious nod to deep lore fans. Mm-hmm. I I don't love the term fan service because I don't think it's an accurate term. Yeah. Like you are allowed to give people what they're hoping for. That should not be frowned upon in media. Yeah. But it felt to me like sometimes as a new fan, I can tell that things are swinging by me without me being able to have context for it. Mm-hmm. And this one I was like, oh, okay. So this is for people who want to pause and translate the Orabesh and – have a callback to their favorite decanonized Star Wars novel. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So it brought a little bit of that in. I think that's really cool. There's also a great James Bond moment when, uh, when Obi-Wan Kenobi shoots the droid because we cut to the probe droid's camera uh-huh. and he just pulls his gun and shoots it right in the eye, which uh-huh. is right into the camera, just uh-huh. like the beginning of a James Bond movie, which oh, I enjoy. Oh, that is fun. Also, that's like um, it's a fun science fiction kind of trope to have the droid circling around like some drone or whatever. And then like you pull back your hood. It's like, oh, it's that guy. Get him. Uh, in fact, we saw that in Solo when they remove Enfys Nest's helmet and they're like, oh, no, it's an old lady. Where is actual Enfys Nest? And then carnage ensues at the end of the movie. Mm. So those are the Easter eggs I picked up on in this one. There's a lot of like lines that are like callbacks or call forwards to other lines, but I don't like doing call forwards. A lot of them are too more Vadery stuff. And we're going to see a lot more of Vader in the future because it's the first time we've seen him bust out the black suit. Yeah. I mean, obviously as a new fan, call forwards do not work for me. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. it's cool to bring them up, but I'm just like, all right, I guess we'll get there in 2024. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, is it is it time for Baywatch? Time for Freck Watch. Time for Freck Watch. It's time for Freck Watch. JK, we hate Freck. Burr, burr. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm going to choose Tala, and here's why. We didn't get to talk about her that much. She's great and she's great with kids. And I find that very funny as soon as she meets Leia and is like, it turns out I'm a good guy. I'm putting on my rebel clothes. And then she turns to Leia and is like, I wear it on the offside so I can draw faster. And Leia's like, can you teach me how to shoot? (laughs) Everyone's like, no. But what Tala did was a singular act of bravery. Mm. And it was a singular act of bravery spread out over decades. Yes. Every day she put her life on the line. And I mean, Obi-Wan comes up and asks her, why do you do this Mm -hmm. every day? Why do you risk everything? Mm -hmm. She says, I have a chance to help people. And that is incredibly powerful. And also, having seen the same thing that Obi-Wan saw, which is Darth Vader dragging mangled corpses through the street with no strings and no hands, She's like, wow, I need to go rescue this Obi-Wan guy. I need to go rescue him. Ned B, you're with me. Spoiler alert. So I also picked Tala. Oh, nice. I just want to let you know so we can fangirl about her together. (laughs) And then she goes herring off into the darkness Mm -hmm. and uses her impeccable sense of aim to do exactly what needs to be done with maximum efficiency to save Obi-Wan Kenobi. Also, doesn't waste any shots on Vader because he is bulletproof. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she probably doesn't know that, but... Uh, you know, she's a smart gal. I think she guessed. <laughs> I loved the moment that we're introduced to Tala because she has a very severe profile. Mm-hmm. So she comes out of the truck in her imperial greens with her hair slicked back into a bun little peaked cap on. And I remember when she came on screen, I was like, oh, this lady looks like she is carved out of iron. Mm -hmm. She looks like she could F you up. And then they do such a beautiful job with her costume design where she goes into the safe house, changes her clothes, lets her hair down. And she's wearing this really warm red 
color and she's got her her hair all loose around her head and all of a sudden she looks like this mother figure mm-hmm. she looks friendly and calm and competent and warm yeah they turned her from imperial to rebel in just a couple strokes and i thought that was incredibly impressive design work yeah and just i guess for me if you run an underground railroad you're always on the bay watch like that is the <laughs> that is the most empowering thing when i hear like a radio interview with people who are with women who are dusting off their like contact list because they're like i used to move girls who needed abortions around before wade and i'll do it after um when i read about sojourner truth Mm -hmm. and the underground railroad in the civil war the people who saved um children during the holocaust Mm -hmm. it's not that that seems like an act of bravery at the time. Sometimes, oftentimes it's an act of paperwork, Hmm. but doing the right thing in a universe where people like Freck exist. And it's easy for him to think he's doing the right thing because all he wants is a little bit of order. And if he keeps licking the boot, eventually he'll get to the juicy center and saying, no, it stops here. And I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to help people. And when it comes time for me to lose my job, to put my life on the line, to go up against Darth Flippin' Vader, I'm there. That's very cool. Yeah, that reminds me about sort of the undercover heroism in American history. Mm-hmm. I recently read about a doctor who would get blood samples from AIDS patients and mm-hmm. would do some paperwork to make it appear that they had a different form of illness and then send it off and they would get medication that they needed to not die from AIDS. Mm. And that was an act of paperwork in like the front office of a laboratory Yeah, and saved many, many hundreds of thousands of lives. And so what Tala is doing is not even that. It is even beyond everyday heroism. Yeah. I think everyday heroism should be celebrated. And also, she is going so far above and beyond what is called for and risking everything. Yeah. And that deserves to be celebrated. It does. Glad we're on the same page about Tala being the best. Yeah. You know, she has uh, the second highest kill count in the episode. So Hmm. right after (laughs) Obi-Wan. Oh, God, that's so dark. Hey, Obi-Wan, you know, there's there's a funny meme going around of, like, who has the highest kill count in the Star Wars universe. And, like, you know, whoever presses the trigger on a Death Star or a Star yeah. Wars has, it like, a really high one. Obi-Wan got a very high kill count manually. <laughs> he, did a, he did it one at a time, like God intended. I just, I thought you were going to fill in that sentence with Vader. And then you said Obi-Wan. And I was like, oh, no. Yeah, Obi-Wan killed a lot of people during the Clone Wars. Just one at a time. And this episode with his blaster. But not Freck. Freck gets to live. It would have felt, I mean, yeah. Would have felt real jerkish as a, you know, maybe ex-Jedi searching for for peace to be like, look, those guys all had guns. I shot them. This guy I used as a human shield. I'm not going to shoot him. (laughs) Bop him on the head. Bop him on the head. Okay, Sam, what are we watching next week? Kenobi part four. Kenobi part four. Shocking. So we've hit the midpoint. Yeah. We're more than halfway into Obi-Wan Kenobi. So I got to start taking notes and figure out what we're going to do next after Kenobi. Oh, my gosh. What do you think we're going to do after Kenobi? Oh, we're going to do Rebels. Okay. (laughs) All right. Wow. We're finally almost at Rebels. I've been so excited for Rebels for so long. Rebels is, if, if you're a Star Wars fan like I am. You're like, look, I love that you watch the movies. I love that you watch The Mandalorian. You got to watch Rebels. You have to. It is it is the most fun. I'm having fun with Kenobi, but I'm I'm ready to possibly have a little bit more fun. Okay, so that is good. very exciting. Yeah, there's uh there's no racing episodes and there's no R2 and C3PO mess around episodes in Kenobi and I'm feeling it. I'm I'm ready for some laughs. This okay. was a dark episode. Well, 
It's always darkest in the middle of the night, and we're in the middle of the night. So. <laughs> <laughs> Join us next week for part four. As always, you can find us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Mastodon. You can grab our podcast wherever you get podcasts. And if you can't find it, let us know. It's actually really easy. We're also continuing to do lots of bonus audio content on our Patreon. I'd like to give a huge shout out to our newest patron, Tim. Thank you for joining up and becoming one of our monthly members. Those memberships start at just $3 a month. And at the lowest tier, you get access to our two-year backlog of content. At the moment, we're just about to finish our recap of the first season of the 2003 Tartakovsky Clone Wars. And then we're going to do some Star Wars visions. Yeah. What is really helpful for the discoverability of our podcast is if you can drop us five stars. If you love what we're doing, you can also drop us a review on the different platforms that you're listening on. And send this episode to a friend. Send it to the everyday hero in your life. Send it to a friend. Yeah. Yeah. And join us next week. See you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.